welcome to the Next Wave podcast brought to you by Headstream. Headstream believes in the powerful potential of digital platforms to uplift and empower youth well-being. Through vulnerable, valuable, evolving, and supportive connections being built into online spaces. Learn more about Headstream, an initiative by Second Muse, at headstreaminnovation.com. Hello, listeners. Welcome back to today's episode of The Next Wave. We are so excited for this episode. We have very special guests today. We have David Ball, who is the director of Headstream, and Carla Lowry, who is the Headstream program manager. So we have been listening to the fellows of Headstream. And now that we have David and Carla, it would be nice to start by getting just a general sense of what Headstream is all about. So we know what the fellows are doing, but how about this project at large? Mina Yvonne, thank you so much for having us on. It's a real pleasure to be joining you today. Headstream is a program run by Second Muse, which is an innovation agency that builds 21st economies around social and environmental issues. Over the last year and a half or so, we've been really digging into what it means to grow up in digital spaces and through digital experiences, really trying to understand how young people experiencing anxiety, stress, depression can grow up in a way and we can provide tools that can provide them with meaningful ways to build meaningful connections, to build social and emotional learning skills, to find support when they need that. So we've done that through an accelerator and incubator program where we've brought in 15 entrepreneurs working to find solutions in this space. We also do it through building programs for young people and going to the community and looking for ways that we can learn from them, that we can build with them, that we can shape investment, policy, and broader community aspects that feed into this larger issue. All of this is really needed. The fact that a single organization is trying to achieve so much is really both inspiring and concerning. Like We should really be having a full-fledged effort, collective effort, to do exactly what you're doing. And... If it's okay to conclude from what you just said, David, it sounds like that's really what Headstream is trying to achieve. How do we bring in adults who are really focusing on designing with young people, for young people, knowing that all the new technologies that we have are not always introduced to young people with a user guide? So how do we create technologies that are less likely to cause harm, to contribute to the stress and the anxiety that young people already experience day in and day out? At the core of the conversations we've been having with the fellows is specifically around this concept of wellness. We know that that is something that all of us should experience. We should all know what it means and what it feels like to be well. But that's kind of an assumption. So we're starting each of our podcasts, each of these episodes, by exploring what wellness means to each of our guests. So Is it okay if we start that way? Would either one of you like to start us off by just giving us a brief definition of what wellness means to you? Sure. I'll jump in. And Yvonne and Mina, it's great to be here. I think, Yvonne, you started to really hit on it in that question, which is wellness and well-being are such an individual thing. Every single person has their own activities, their own ideas, their own places that make them feel well. And so I think it's really hard to get to a group definition. I think when I start out thinking about well-being, it's really, to me, it means that you are at peace with yourself. You are physically, mentally, and psychologically healthy, and you feel, yeah, I'll stop there. But as far as this individual idea of well-being, I think that's something that we need to bring to the forefront of the conversation 
to not just talk about the idea of well-being that is prescriptive to all people, but to really start to allow people to talk about what makes themselves as individuals feel well. For me, it's things like getting outside, hiking, getting enough sleep every day, making sure that I'm drinking the right amount of water. Those are really core for me to well-being. And then in terms of mental well-being, things like being honest with yourself, reflecting every day, doing things like yoga can be really helpful. So I've just identified a lot of things that personally mean are connected to wellness in some way for me. But like I said, back to the original point, it's important that we start to prioritize this idea of individual well-being over well-being is something that can be easily defined. David? Thanks, Carla. I mean, I think what was really important from there is thinking about how this is different for all of us. And what I really appreciate is that you, you focused in on what some of the solutions are, right? And so I think for me, as an individual. And for me, oftentimes when we talk about well-being, we're also we're often highlighting the negative parts or what wellness is often defined as is being stressed or not being anxious or not feeling isolated. These feelings of the opposite of these negative emotions or these feelings that are negative is not the right word because they're normal and things that we all go through. But the emphasis on instead of the not, which is totally understandable given that when we are thinking about our own well-being, the most is when we are not feeling well, is starting to push to understand those feelings of when we are feeling well, right? So for me, like it's feeling very present and being able to, to think about what's right in front of me or the conversation I'm having in the moment. It's the ability to laugh a lot, the ability to have fewer self-doubts and moments when I'm not confident or questioning my motivations or my actions. And so for us, this is going to be a lot of that middle ground that we're going to be facing between those feelings of stress and anxiety and those brief moments or hopefully larger and more frequent moments of feeling present for me or, or laughing a lot or having not having those feelings of self-doubt. And so how do we work, in a sense, backwards towards those feelings that we're really going and striving for instead of maybe getting and thinking all about those stressful moments or those anxious moments? And I think realistically, we're going to be in between those worst and those best moments for most of the time, right? And so the ability to recognize and accept those levels of stress, those moments of loneliness, those moments of anxiety, and working towards and celebrating those other moments when we are really feeling well and really feeling strong. Those for me has kind of been the transition as I've thought about this a lot through the course of Headstream. And I think it actually reflects a little bit about how Headstream as a program has been designed. In many ways, instead of looking at all of the challenges that have come from focusing in on digital places and the amount of time that young people spend growing up in these digital places, it's not so much pushing people away from those digital places as a solution, but finding the best ways to celebrate where people are being creative, where they're connecting meaningfully, where they're finding opportunities to learn and get support, and how do we build more of those types of positive experiences into the online places where young people are spending a lot of time. That was great, both of you. Honestly, it's so reflective by just listening to the two of you speak as also the fellows talking about their fellowship with Headstream and the experiences that they've learned and the positive upliftment in this space. It's really clear how all of these elements are very tied together and how each of your definitions of well-being are very, there's so much overlap and it makes me really excited. And Dave, you started to really touch on this and I really want to delve in deeper about what do you see as the connection between youth well-being and digital spaces. You started to really touch on it, and I want to hear more from both of you about how you see the positive future in this space. I think the way that we look at that question at Headstream is really to elevate it beyond just youth well-being or youth wellness. For the majority of young people that we've interacted with over the last 
18 months or so working on this program has really been to understand that the digital spaces and experiences and the time spent online is such a key core integral part of all of the aspects of growing up. So you can think about well-being, you think about learning, you think about friends, everything that grows into that process of growing up. We really, when we wanted to understand well-being, we we went back and tried to understand that first. So what are these core components of growing up and how do those tie to well-being? We ended up identifying through our work with the Headstream community, so many young people, so many professional experts, really relying on them as the guides and as the teachers for us as a program to where we've been able to get on three key areas. One was meaningful connections, this ability to go beyond a friend request or a follower to really create meaningful, deep connections with individuals and on digital spaces. Two is social and emotional skills and the ability to learn, to grow up, to build confidence, to take risks, to try new experiences, to be able to get feedback from those and to grow as a human, to have the skills to grow into adulthood. And the third was support because each and every one of us growing up, whether we grew up 50 years ago, 100 years ago, more like myself 20 years ago, this ability that growing up is hard and we're all going to need support at different moments. And this is a program that can provide those support. And so how do we bring that into digital spaces? And so for us, we've been trying to figure out who is already doing this well, what young people are using, how they're finding the opportunity to build these meaningful connections, where they're growing to build and co-create together and to scratch that itch for creativity in digital spaces. And then how can we as a program really hone in on supporting those innovations and those entrepreneurs and those places and experiences in online spaces that are building these key components of growing up into the online world? Yeah, David has just done a great job of tying all of this back to what exactly we're doing at Headstream. You can see that we're clearly aiming high. But I think just to add to that, I think what's really important about the connection between youth well-being and digital spaces is it goes back to that cliche of you are the sum of the five people you spend the most time with. I think in this case, it's something like you are the sum of all of the digital places that you spend time in. It's such a large amount of time now, and I don't say that in a negative or positive way, but it's simply such a large amount of time that young people are spending online now. And that's not something that can be ignored because it isn't real, because it doesn't exist in the real world. Those places and the people that young people are interacting with in those places become a direct part of your identity. And so to think that, you know, Digital places and youth well-being can't be separated. They're deeply interconnected, in my opinion, and in the opinion of Headstream. So I really like this circle. It's almost a cycle that you, but the both of you just described specifically with those three points that David just mentioned about experiencing meaningful connection, social emotional skills, and support. And one is really tied to the other because we are supported by those individuals that we are connected with. And it is those connections that really allow us to explore and expand those social and emotional skills. So really identifying each of these as independently important, but as related is really, really fascinating, especially in light of what you just said, Carla, about how in a very neutral, as a neutral observation, a lot of us are spending a lot of time in these digital spaces and our ability to experience wellness or to experience meaningful connection, expand our social emotional skills and so on. Those are going to be influenced by the way that we use social media and digital spaces. So can each of you tell us from your perspective, 
Can you tell me about some of the aspects of wellness that are limited by these digital spaces that young people use? Yes. So I think that there are a lot of very specific examples that every parent or teacher or young person is aware of or has experienced, you know, bullying, playing video games and hearing a lot of really negative commentary from the other players, girls seeing really negative images about their body type on social media. And those are things that are, they're meant to grab our attention and we're meant to spend time on those things. And also negative comments are something that lasts much longer in our minds than positive comments do. So I think that in all of these places where there's no regulation, there's no moderators, there's not anyone who's looking out for the community. Those are the places that can really start to move into the territory of being really negative. But when there is a sense of community in a place and when there are people who actually care about the quality of what's happening in those places, that's when we really start to see the potential of social technologies for teen well-being. I will say before you answer, David, you, Carla, you just talked about one of the things that one of the fellows brought up in her podcast, Alana, talked about the importance of starting to introduce guidance and choice as we're starting to continue these innovations and welcoming young people to these digital spaces. So I think it's an amazing parallel that while each of you did not know what you would say in this podcast, that both of you are still recognizing very similar themes. So I just wanted to highlight that before we move on to David's answer. In many ways, Yvonne, that is kind of a reflection of what you've alluded to a little bit, that this undertaking of Headstream is such a massive undertaking for one organization, Second Muse, or one team at Headstream to do. And that comment about Alana and Carla's answer being connected is really a representation of us having learned so much from the people that we've engaged with. If you look back at the research process, it meant engaging with dozens of experts in this space. It meant engaging with teens from all sorts of different backgrounds to understand and to answer that question of what online experiences are like or how we could build more positive, enriching digital experiences into online spaces. So for us, that's not a surprise, right? And when you talk about the interconnectedness of meaningful connections, of social and emotional skills, of finding support, that stemmed out of creating a causal loop systems map where those connections were identified, where those abilities to loop and to integrate different components of that online experience were built into this program. When I look at what's been limited or what has changed because of growing up interconnected at all times, it's just that massive amount of information, the massive amount of opportunities that exist with information, with opportunities, and oftentimes without guidance comes challenges, right? And I think that's what Carlo was really alluding to is around guidance, around learning, around having those support systems to navigate infinite numbers of connections, infinite number of websites, infinite numbers of ways to spend my time online and finding those enriching moments that push us away from kind of the constant scroll or the passive consumption of a lot of these spaces. And so I think one is to build those places itself. Another one is to integrate different solutions into those places. But I think we're getting a little bit more towards what are the solutions instead of just identifying what are these limitations of these spaces, which apologies for moving beyond that original question. You're okay. No need to apologize. I think another parallel that I can't help but notice is this double-edged sword, which Ali brought up in her podcast recording. 
And right now we're really recognizing that digital spaces can cause some serious harm. And to these headlines that Carla was just mentioning, some of these headlines can be very overwhelming to read because we know that while the connection between digital spaces and youth well-being is very, very complicated to the point that Headstream took a shot at understanding these connections and came up with a very complicated mind map. Am I describing that correctly? Is it a mind map? Is it a systems map? Complication map? Yeah, we use (laughs) the systems map, but it is certainly complicated. And so, by the way, is there a way people have access to take a look at these systems maps that you created? Yeah, we have it on our website, headstreaminnovation.com. And you can go and look at all of the research that we did, including this systems map. So me having looked at it before, it is really complicated, like much of the relationship between our individual well-being and digital spaces. But the thing that I'm really hearing us talk about is this double-edged nature of digital spaces. Just like young people can experience harm, we can also create spaces that promote wellness, that restore wellness. And I think it's important to start heading towards that direction. What is it that we can do to protect wellness? What is it that we can do to restore wellness once something has been harmed? I don't know. What do you think, Mina? Yeah, I'm so glad that you mentioned the double-edged sword that Ali mentioned in her episode, because it's really easy to get lost in the limits of these things. And it's very easy to get lost in the criticisms. And by looking at the double-edged sword, especially the fact that there is one side of it that has so much potential. And that's the potential that Headstream is operating on right now. It's like there's whatever you put into the machine, its output is in that direction. And so now I really want us to explore this idea of what now? Like, what are all of the positive things that can come out of this space? This is such uncharted territory, it seems. And there are so many unknowns and so many questions that Headstream is becoming acquainted with and exploring and pushing the boundary of. And a big part of that what now question requires us to answer how do we continue to effectively empower young people in this movement that Headstream is leading? Awesome question. I think that it's one of the number one questions of our program in general and something that we've been focusing on for a long, long time. And just very simply, the first thing that I'll say is continue to make space for them in the conversation. There is, you know, you can't empower young people if you don't understand young people and if you're not talking to them. So if you're having a conversation that has to do with young people, make sure there are young people present in the room engaging in that conversation with you. Also, if you are, you know, if you're looking to empower people or empower young people, provide opportunities, open up your organization to allow them to see their own potential, look for the young people in your own community who may need some outlet, some creative outlet or something else. So in addition to that, Carlin, what I'm hearing with like relying on the young people is also with the young people that we have in our cohort of entrepreneurs. So right now we're working with 15 entrepreneurs. And to be honest, like a lot of the work that we did at Headstream was creating the foundation for these entrepreneurs to be the ones that come in and and do the answering of that question, Mina, with their work. And so whether it's the college students who are in our cohort, whether it's the young people who are taking their own experiences from growing up and building those into new products and services for wider populations. Right now, what we're trying to do is use and support those innovators 
so that they can be successful and so that their innovations can be replicated by the next wave of entrepreneurs, by existing social tech companies that can integrate their strategies and their understandings. And that comes in many ways, right? That comes with how do we relate to young people specifically and build products that speak to them? How do we do that for communities that often don't have individual innovations built for them, whether those are teens of color or LGBT plus teens or, or teen girls who need solutions right now to deal with anxiety and depression and loneliness. And so as we look to answer that and to be responsive to that, we really look and empower our innovators to be the ones that lead the way. And for us, we try and support them as much as possible. Um, jumping back in to build on that, I think a couple of other things that are truly, truly important is not just like it is critical to have young people in the room. It's also critical to understand how exactly to work with young people. So not only making sure that they have a voice in the room, but actually giving them a platform and the tools to feel confident in what they're doing. Carla, I really love the what you were saying about it's more than just the young people being in the room. It's how they are active protagonists in this space. And this is something I've heard you say in pretty much every endeavor that Headstream has taken on. Same with you, David. And I think something that I'm curious about is that like, while like these innovators are creating these exceptionally new, very specialized ways to help navigate through the dark times or to help, you know, navigate through very specialized experiences by people of different identities. I'm starting to think about how if we're thinking about youth as the protagonists of designing and building platforms that they will inherently be the main users of, what opportunities are there for youth to cultivate their initiatives through Headstream or in digital platforms at large? Like how is Headstream really jumping off of things that youth are already making or thinking about? So Headstream is a program that's focused on a whole range of entrepreneurs. So it's not limited to just young people who are the entrepreneurs. And in our cohort, we have a wide range of, of folks of different ages, including young people, including folks with 20, 30, 40 years of professional experience. So it's not limited to just young people. What we really leaned on for our understanding of how to get youth involved, and this is evolving quickly, right? and I'll let Carla kind of go into the specifics of answering this question, is really to make as much informed about the program and decided by young people as possible. So not deciding as traditionally, I think we taking that mindset of an educator or a parent that we know what is best for young people, but going to where young people were already spending time, the types of components of digital spaces and experiences that they were looking for, and going out and finding the entrepreneurs who are working in those spaces already. I think that was step one for us. And I think what we're trying to build right now, which Carla, please elaborate on, is to take it to that next step, Mina, which is you're referring to about how young people can get involved. Yeah, we're really excited about what we're launching this summer. We've spent about a year trying to figure out exactly how it is that we want to engage with young people and what kind of opportunities we can actually provide that will be different and meaningful and valuable to them. And so this summer, we are launching our Youth Advisor Program. We're looking for teenagers across the U.S. who are interested in supporting the well-being of their own communities. And we'll be gathering virtually 20 amazing teenagers to work with us over the course of three months to really solve teen well-being challenges in their own communities. And we'll be providing tools and workshops and resources for those teenagers to learn from our experience about entrepreneurship and how to build communities. But we'll also be providing space for those teenagers to 
to share what they're learning with other teens across the country and to really make them a resource for young people as well. And so I think that goes back to a couple of things that we think are really important to provide for young people to make sure that they're empowered. Opportunity and a platform and a voice to share what they're doing, I think is really critical and something that we're focusing a lot on for this program. Being able to actually tell their stories is something that's so critical. And not only being able to tell their stories, but being able to tell their stories in the way that they want to. I think that's not something that a lot of teenagers are given the opportunity to do. I think another really exciting part of this program is that they'll be working with the cohort of innovators that are part of the Headstream Accelerator. And that's amazing for a couple of reasons. We're, as David mentioned, focused on communities of teens who are in need, specifically teens of color, teen girls, and LGBTQ plus teens. We had that same focus when we were recruiting innovators for this cohort. So the teenagers that we will be working with in the Youth Advisor Program will be working directly with innovators who reflect their own lived experiences and reflect their own communities. And we think that that mentorship advisor role will be an incredible development tool, an incredible learning opportunity for both our innovators as well as the teenagers. And so we're really excited to have this opportunity. We would love for everyone listening to this who is between the ages of 13 to 21 to apply, and we'd absolutely love to work with you. So, At the core of what I'm hearing this conversation, really like at the core of this conversation, is the concept of equitable empowerment not just creating opportunities where it's an open door and we expect anyone who wants to walk through the door and be empowered. We really acknowledge that that's not necessarily how real life works, especially not for young people. We know that there's a lot of disadvantages depending on the identities that people carry with them. And we know that a lot of our young girls, queer kids, they already face a lot of barriers that make it even harder to experience wellness. So the fact that Headstream is really focusing on elevating these stories in an equitable way, to me, is just really, really, really important, is really at the core of what I hope most of us are starting to do across the country as we're supporting young people. But there's a, a possible pitfall as we're trying to do equitable work. And that's the danger of tokenizing stories, where we welcome young folks with specific identities, and then we somehow treat these voices as representative of everyone else who associates with that identity. And I know you, Mina, you've been working with young folks for a while. How have you worked with young folks to prevent this tokenizing? No, that's a really great point, Yvonne. I think it really starts by understanding that each story is unique and knowing that within each of these different like identity groups that Dave and Carla mentioned that Headstream is really trying to empower, there are really nuanced experiences within each of them, which requires active listening. And empowerment means giving them that mic and propping them up to be leaders in this space. And yeah. that is no easy task in a world where they feel that wasn't designed to support them. It's and really so now, hard, especially because we live in a society so that actively hard. tokenizes everything. But that's why I'm so excited for this youth advisor program that Carla mentioned, because what other opportunity? I don't know many like spaces where young people can basically become mini social entrepreneurs, where the problems that 
live in their communities or their own personal lives and experiences that sometimes they feel like, how do we have the resources? How do we, what are the tools to start to address this? We can provide a program through Headstream that can really help that. And it sounds like Headstream is really just building a movement. And I'm really excited for these 20 youth that will be a part of this program. And to all of our young listeners, I encourage you all to apply because this just sounds like a really rich program. It's really all in the language. Anyone who's worked with me in the past, of course, all three of you who have, we've worked together now, all of you know that I believe in the power of words. And it's all in the language for Headstream. The fact that one of those core components of youth wellness is support, while where we know that support and help and different. We know that there's a lot of agencies that want to help young people. But Headstream is really focusing on supporting young people. In other words, there's different spaces that look to do things for young people, which is what helping is. But Headstream is really focusing on doing things with young people, which is what the way I understand support to be. So knowing that Headstream has a couple of learnings and has had a trajectory in creating spaces of support or that allow support to exist. I'm wondering if there's any key lessons that other adults and other innovators can take from Headstream as they create spaces for young people. So to you, Carla and David, how can adults or innovators create spaces like Headstream where we work with young people, not necessarily at young people or for young people? Yeah, so I'm sure that David is going to jump in on this in a minute, but I just have one point that I think is really important to communicate up front, which is you need to be really, really explicit about the type of community you want to build. Headstream is diverse and youth-centered because we won't shut up about being diverse and youth-centered. We see incredible value in having innovators who are from underserved communities or who are parts of these communities that we're focusing on actually working with the young people who will eventually be creating their own technologies. We think having that lived experience is so, so important. And so we talk about it all the time. And we think having youth voice be at the center of our programming is so important. And so we talk about it all the time. And yeah, I I would just hammer that home is you have to be explicit about the type of community you want to build in order to create that community. David, anything else to add? Yeah, I really love that, Carla. And just some things that aren't going to sound nearly as meaningful as that. But I think one of the reasons that Headstream has been able to be successful to this point is really the space that we had to learn and to understand before we jumped in. And so if time and the opportunity to really dig in and learn is so precious and valuable. And I know that's not, it really is a privilege to be able to do that. But for folks that are starting up into this area, like as much time as you can spend with young people, as much time as you can spend with other youth organizations that really work with young people at all times or with teachers or whether you're looking at education or health or social technologies, really invest in that time as much as possible. And then when you do start to work with these young people or to create solutions for young people or the caring adults in their lives, lean into what your own kind of valuable skill sets are. Like, where are you really 
what are you really good at? And so for us at Headstream, it's taken a while to get to this point where we're ready to launch a youth advisory group. And, you know, when we started, we asked ourselves, should we start a board? Because that's what it seemed like every youth program that was built around young people had. And we slowly made our way to having the three amazing youth fellows who you all got a chance to listen to. We slowly went from having in-person events where we, I think, were guilty of some of this tokenism as well. And we've gradually learned and we have so much more learning to do. But we, at the same time, leaned into what we did well. And that is to bring together innovators. That's to build communities around these innovations. That's to make sure that we're driven by evidence-based approaches. That's to make sure that we're inclusive at the same time. And then as we've learned and partnered and collaborated, we've gotten to a point now where we think that we can really bring some young people in to drive these social entrepreneurship type programs to really support our innovators and to help them transform into the types of learners and experts that we're slowly making our way towards as a program. That intentionality is there, just like Carla was saying. I agree with it 100%. Yes, honestly, please never shut up about it. As you said, Carla, keep <laughs> keep drilling that home because that's so important to this community that I guess we're all working to build together. And I love that that is just being beaten down into all of our minds, into the minds of our listeners, and most importantly, into the work and design of our innovators. I'm thinking back to what you mentioned about Second Muse, David, about how you It's an innovation agency working to build these new economies. And it sounds like this new economy that is teen well-being in digital spaces being a supportive channel for teen well-being is this idea of building a strong community and that being very explicit about what kind of community you want to build. You're building an entirely new culture that influences this economy that you're building, that influences systems of support, that influences the way communities operate within each other. And I just, I want to ask our last question for today, how can we support one another as we support youth well-being and build this culture of uplifting well-being? I think it's going to look differently for each one of us, right? And I think we can often even divide ourselves into our are the skills and the expertise we have in our work lives and then the skills and expertise we have in our, our lives outside of work. And so for many of us, it's siblings or it's as parents or it's as educators. And how do we bring these thoughts and these ideas and the patience and the different approaches that we're learning about into our personal lives? And then crossing back over and into the nine to five or the hours when we spend working throughout the days, like how do we build this into the work that we're doing? And so for us, we're looking to engage with funding sources because as we build new economies, we want to have flexible types of capital. We want to find folks who are able to take risks on these types of new enterprises that we're supporting at Headstream that are playing around with more inclusive business models that are working with specific communities that often don't get attention paid to or don't have access to these types of technologies generally. And so how do we push the people to come in and find a role in this Headstream community or in programs similar to Headstream, bringing in their own expertise? Like as a closing thought for me, at least like none of this program happens without this community. We come into this program without the expertise around mental well-being, without necessarily the expertise around young people, although you, Yvonne and Mina are really bringing that to our team. But how do we bring all of these different folks together and facilitate the construction of a community driven towards a common goal? And that goal really for us is to be this inclusive youth-centered program that's bringing innovation and changing digital spaces to improve the process of growing up online. Mic drop. 
Mina, can you ask me that question again? Yeah, of course. Essentially, in building this new culture, that explicit community that you said that Headstream is working on, how can we support one another as we support youth well-being together? I guess that's part of this entire community that we're building. Yeah, so plus one to all of David's points. And I think I'll just add that this work is really hard. Focusing your days on well-being or anxiety and depression and stress and trying to unpack those things is really challenging. And I've found personally that you need to break down a lot of your own walls and really be vulnerable with yourself before you can help other people. And so I would say to anyone who's listening who wants advice on, on how to you know, get into this space or even just to add well-being into your own daily thoughts more often, you know, be kind to yourself, be vulnerable, start to bring these topics up in daily conversations with your friends and your family and the people who are surrounding you. Because once you're comfortable speaking to people who are close to you about this, that's when you can start to be an advocate for teen well-being in a much larger way. That was awesome, Carla. Honestly, thank you both so much for joining this episode. Because as we made our episodes with each of the fellows, we really wanted our listeners to have the direct insight about who are the people that make up this team that is the team that leads a program that is bringing in all of these different stakeholders to build a very intentional movement, to build a very intentional community that is perpetuating a really beautiful culture in the ways that digital spaces will begin to operate. And so I'm so grateful for each of you. I just want to remind our listeners about the Youth Advisory Program. For youth that are between the ages of 13 and 21, we are really excited for you to get involved in this program. If you're excited to learn about social entrepreneurship in this way, if you want to address well-being issues and challenges within your own community, and most importantly, gain from an entire network of innovators of youth from across the country and the Headstream team. If you're interested in applying, please reach out to me, Headstream's Youth Program Coordinator at m.aslon at secondmuse.com. We've also included the information in our description below. So Yvonne, please take us away with your traditional, classic, beautiful checkout question. Yes, it's time for that checkout. So hopefully by now, (laughs) all of us are used to having an Yvonne-style checkout. And I would like us to sort of bring back something that David said at the beginning of our discussion today, which is whenever we think about creating digital spaces, we do the very same thing. We talk about how digital spaces are not good for young people. They're not healthy for young people. Since we are creating these new digital spaces, can we go around and quickly say what we want digital spaces to be so that we can start creating or focusing on what they're capable of doing. Does that make sense? Does that bring in your discussion from earlier, David? Absolutely, it does. And they don't have to be that much different from how we would look at so many of the important things that we do offline or in person as well. So with that said, this should be fairly quick. If we could just go around and say one thing that we desire for digital spaces so that they can better support youth wellness. Since I'm asking the question, it's only fair I start And I'm going to say that in a world of infinite possibilities, I really hope that digital spaces allow for genuine, vulnerable human connection. And I'll pass it on to Mina. Ooh, okay. 
you took one of mine, Yvonne. You took one of mine. <laughs> no, but I love that. That pushes me to think of all of the other potentials in this space. I really want digital spaces to be a way for young people to support their desire to learn and to give back to their community. Because I think oftentimes they feel that social media or digital spaces can be more of a distraction. And I feel like if they can have like the vulnerability that you described and to be really authentically themselves, they can also really flourish in the ways that they want to like serve and the ways that they want to learn more about how to strengthen the interconnectedness between people. So really, I guess, thinking about like building genuine connection and how we can continue learning through these platforms, building a better world that uplifts our well-being. I'm going to popcorn it to Carla. Yeah, thank you. So building off of that, Mina, and what David talked about earlier, I think that these spaces should be really reflective of what the best physical safe spaces already are in many ways. And so they need to be a place of support, a place that feels safe and warm and welcoming, and ideally is a place that contributes to collaboration and the ability to create together. I think that that more than anything creates relationships and creates that ability for deeper connections in those spaces. I chose many attributes. Sorry about that. David, go ahead. I think yours are good, Carla. I think what you're describing is a a just and equitable place. For me, I want to create digital places that allow for creativity. And I think when many of us, and I'm not a creative person at all, and it takes me a while to push towards getting that creativity out of me. But when we look at digital spaces, I think we're often have a little bit of uh, blinders to the what can be created in these spaces. And so the opportunity, whether it's through art or voice or video or writing to create spaces where young people can use those as medicine almost, or as opportunities to develop skills or as opportunities to make those meaningful connections or to think through tough times and find support. If we have those creative spaces, I think our digital spaces and experiences will will become richer and become healthier and become more positive experiences for everyone. It's crazy how just switching the emphasis can drastically change the tone of a conversation. Instead of focusing on what we don't want them to be any longer, just hearing this short question, we want them to be welcoming, creative. We want them to be just and real, collaborative, authentic, vulnerable. I think those are much easier parameters to be able to check, is this happening or not? So thank you so much for allowing us to close on this note, knowing that this is more or less the direction we're heading towards. So thank you for joining us. Thank you for riding this next wave of digital spaces and innovation towards youth wellness. And I don't know how else to close it, Mina. Thank you to our listeners for showing up and showing that you care about this space and that you are a part of this community. And we are so excited to watch how this next wave unfolds. So thank you for joining us on today's episode with Dave and Carla and see you guys next time. See you next time. Thanks so much for listening to the Next Wave podcast brought to you by Headstream, an initiative by Second Muse designed to improve and empower youth well-being through digital technologies. Learn more today at headstreaminnovation.com. We'll see you next time on The Next Wave.